podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. If you're looking for more pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. All American Giant clothing is created with a commitment to doing things better. From the materials they use down to the last stitch in every piece. And everything is made right here in America, in partnership with people and communities. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll appreciate as soon as you receive your order. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel. Joining me is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good manners. Um, great to be here at, the, at the, the wonderful Sydney Cricket Ground talking to today. A little bit concerned about the the ground a thousand kilometres to the south, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. A lot of bad headlines because of the cancellation of a Sheffield Shield game due to the nature of the pitch. So given we've had some turgid flat surfaces there in, in recent years and they've now seemingly overcorrected, it's a bit of a worry heading into the Boxing Day test. Yes, it's a big concern, and in today's podcast, we're going to preview the Australia v New Zealand Test Series. We've got all the cricket headlines, including the crisis at the MCG and the WBBL Grand Final results, and then we're going to wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go. But let's start off by calling the chief cricket writer for News Corp, Ben Horn, to find out what's happening in Perth. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. We've missed you. It's been a while, Menace. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, really missed you. And uh, you're over uh, in Perth preparing for the first test against New Zealand. What's happening? No, not a lot at the moment. Just with the, um, yeah, I guess the, the time difference and also the fact that it's a pink ball test. Um, uh, training doesn't start till <laughs> quite late in the day, but... Uh, um, it's uh, it's good over here, mate. Um, it's going to be very hot later in the week, so that's going to be um, that's going to be very interesting. Uh, Forty degree temperatures they're tipping for the first three days, so uh, that, that's going to be a key part of the, the preparation. And um, yeah, New Zealand trying to uh, acclimatise not only to a new stadium but to, to the pink ball. Yeah, they are at a bit of a disadvantage because they're going to have like three training sessions with the pink ball, but Australia, mm. you know, played a whole test match. Yeah, and that is a significant advantage. Um, Joe Burns said uh, earlier in the summer when the Australia A game happened over here against Pakistan, pink ball game, and the Australians were you know nine for fifty. That uh, yeah, that that's sort of what he put it down to. You know, first pink ball game for most of those guys in a, in a year, and it just does take some getting used to, um, particularly under light. So um, that that is an issue, I think, for New Zealand. Um, you know, if they happen to start an innings or. Uh, they're midway through an innings when the lights come on and uh, and you've got sort of Mitchell Stark and, and these guys coming out, then that, that's going to be risky. Although it's a bit of a different day-night feel, this one, in that um, I'm not sure it actually will get dark because um, the game could be over by 8.30. Um, so that'll be interesting. But, you know, certainly the, the twilight will happen and, um, you know, a bit you would think will happen when, the, uh, when those lights come on. 
What about the pitch over there, that, that one that you mentioned for the Australia A game? seemed to have a fair degree of life in it. Is that something they're looking to replicate, mm. do you think? Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I haven't been out there yet, but um, you know, I think they're, you know, they're confident that there'll be a bit in it. Uh, I think the wicket over here has um, you know, been fairly consistent in terms of being quite pacey, um, being quite quick, which, which is good. Um, you, know, you sort of want <laughs> the whacker of old to yeah. uh, emerge in the new stadium. So a um, bit of a tightrope for them to walk, I guess, after the, the debut test last summer because that one was rated average by the ICC, and um, even though it was, you know, yeah, it, that, it was actually refreshing to see a test with a, a bit more there for the bowlers. Um, you know, it was a bit dangerous at times, and um, you know, Aaron Finch suffered a, a pretty bad finger injury in that game, and uh, there were a few demons in that wicket. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. There is still a level of unpredictability about how the pitch will play. I think. Yeah, I also think that the Australian side's pretty settled leading into this series, Ben. Probably the most settled it's been in a couple of years. I can't see them making many changes to the eleven, especially in the first two tests. Yeah, I, I think that uh, basically no chance of any changes for this first test unless um, unless there's an issue there for one of the quicks that we don't know about. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't see how they possibly could change that attack. Uh, it did such a great job again. Pakistan, they've had several days to recover and rest. So, look, you could see potentially a change coming, um, possibly for Melbourne, but perhaps more likely for Sydney because it's quite a a short turnaround between Melbourne and Sydney. Plus, you've got the prospect of of playing two spinners and an all-rounder in Sydney as well. So, um, yeah, look, we could well get through four tests with an unchanged team, and then uh, and maybe that last test of the summer in Sydney is when we might see a couple of new faces. I wonder what spinners are in contention for that second spinner spot at the moment. Well, it's a bit mysterious in that um, they haven't... When asked last week, Trevor Hone sort of declined to put any names up. But, I mean, you can bet that Ashton Agar will be um, right in the mix there. Um, I know for the Sheffield Shield match that you guys were commentating, I think... uh, Against WA, that um, you know Australia had a couple of their um, their spin coaches there, uh, including Shri. Yeah, um, he was there. They're yeah. watching, so I think that would suggest you know keeping a, a pretty close eye on Ashton Agar. And um, yeah, from there it gets interesting. Um, you know Mitchell Swepps and the leg spinners had a good summer for Queensland, and then um, you know do they go back to the veteran Steve O'Keefe? That that probably. Seems doubtful, but um, you know his record is still as good as anyone else in the competition. And and um, and then you've got John Holland, who's the most recent second spinner that Australia's used. Um, and they used him last year in, in the UAE against Pakistan. So um, it's a real worry uh, in a way that um, there's no sort of obvious number two spinner in the country at the moment. Um, probably won't be a huge issue in this series, but. They do go to Bangladesh next year and, um, you know, they played three spinners last time they were in Bangladesh. So they do need to find a couple of guys who are, um, you know, going to come out of the woodwork. I guess the the problem is as well that not only do they not have a frontline second spinner, but all the all-rounders are kind of, you know, injured or unavailable or have different issues. So, you know, both spots seem difficult. It might be easy just to give Marnus Lobachain the responsibility of bowling some extra overs. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's um, you know that that will be a, a prime uh, consideration, and that's one um, I guess luxury that the selectors have. Manus does bring quite a few facets to his game, so 
Nathan Lyon was was talking up uh, Marnus's bowling yesterday and and thinks he can work as a second spinner. So um, you know that that's certainly a, a, a very realis- realistic option for the Sydney Test at least. But um, when they go to Bangladesh, they'll obviously need a couple of other options as well. And what's your feeling with regards to New Zealand? There's a fair bit of talk saying that they're going to be very competitive and they are ranked above Australia in the world rankings. But the other way of looking at it is they've traditionally struggled over here and they could, they could struggle again. Yeah, look, I think um, you know the, the opinions are fairly divided on, on that front. Um, you know, I, I sort of tend to agree with, uh, you know, with the latter part of, uh, of your point there that, you know, it, it is a big step up, even though they are in form. They've just played two tests against England and won the series. The, the conditions here are obviously very different. Um, and, and Trent Bolt, um, you know, presuming he doesn't get up to play, we don't know that yet, but he's um, certainly up against it. And, uh, yeah, just sort of having a slightly weakened team as well. Um, and, you know, they, they seem to be running into an Australian team that, that is uh, going along very nicely. So um, I, I think Australia will win the series. Uh, but the biggest chance for New Zealand, obviously, to get into it is here because you've got those variables with the pink ball where anything can happen. Um, you know, Australia certainly aren't uh, um, safe <laughs> or, or uh, yeah, immune from a batting collapse, I should say. So, um, yeah, so this is this is an interesting test. And if New Zealand could sneak this one, then I suppose you've got Melbourne and, and Sydney, which will be a lot flatter and attritional probably. So it's this is the big opportunity for New Zealand. But, yeah, just get the feeling that, that Australia might be too good. Yeah, I tend to agree. From a, an overall Cricket Australia perspective, how do you think this summer will go down if, let's say, New Zealand do get swept away reasonably easily? This would have to be one of the, um, you know, it would be a bit of a bloody nose for Australian cricket in that I think the public will lose interest quite quickly. It's a tough one. Like last summer, you know, um, I guess we were so, uh, yeah, it, it was unusual to see Australia getting beaten so badly at home. Um, you know, that, that was kind of unusual. And now they're the ones who are dishing out the punishment, so it's hard to, um, you know. I guess you, you, you sort of, um, yeah, you're craving for a really close series, but uh, that's just not that's just not how it goes most of the time. And look, I, I'm not sure. I, I think, in a way, Australia kind of needs a summer like this. Um, I, I think you know the chance to reassert themselves, yeah. get some confidence back, play some guys into the team like Manus Lubbershane and Travis Head. Uh, I think, you know, yeah, perhaps the fans might like more of a contest, but I think this is a summer that Australian cricket actually needs. Um, you know, uh, obviously things will get harder, you know, when they go overseas and there'll be challenges ahead. But uh, after everything that's gone on for the last 12 months, I think having a confidence-boosting summer is quite a timely a timely thing to happen. Yep, I love seeing Australia bully a few sides. So I'm certainly in that camp, Benny. All right. Before we let you go, you've got a couple of articles that have uh, gone up on the Daily Telegraph website recently. So uh, you've got a little bit of an update on the drop-in situation at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I understand the chairman of the Trust has reached out to the members. Yeah, look, it's not sort of a, um, you know, specific correspondence about the drop-in wicket. It's, it's something that happens every month, and it was just one of a number of things that are, that are covered off on. So... But yeah, look, it's it's um, you know it's it's not a huge update, but it just reflects the fact that there is concerns amongst uh, the members about about this conversation and, and about uh, what might be being considered. But um, look, I think all the indications at the moment are suggesting that 
a drop in pitch at the SCG is is highly unlikely, and um, uh, at least until uh, there's significant sort of uh, changes at the ground, for example, a new grandstand that would allow them access to to the ground. So it's sort of an argument that uh, I think is kind of um, probably being put on hold for for a while, and. Um, uh, yeah, you, you know, you couldn't rule out the fact that it could again become an issue in a few years' time if if things change at the ground. But um, you know, I'm not sure when they're going to put a line under it. But I'd be surprised if anything's happening on that front um, yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, just a bit of an update. We've been commentating on the Shield match at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and the, the pitch for this game is actually pretty good. There's a little bit of grass on the surface, a bit of bounce and carry, so it is an improvement. Mm. But it is. Uh, the pitch on the far right of the square looking from the members' end. So it's not the mm. test pitch, but it, it certainly has more bounce and carry than we saw for the game against mm. WA. Last one before mm. I let you go, Benny. Uh, Curtis Patterson, you wrote an article about him. Obviously, he's had a frustrating start to the season, aggravating his left quad injury. Whereabouts is he up to? Yeah, look, he's nearing a return, I think. Um, he's not expecting to be right for the start of the Big Bash. He's playing with the Perth Scorchers this summer. But um, I think he's confident of returning in the first part of the tournament. So that's good news for him. Um, basically, the, the big one, big thing at the moment is that he's just got to be 100% fit when he comes back because, um, you know, the problem last time was he, he did try and rush things and come back before he was 100% uh, based on the fact that there was limited opportunities, obviously, to push for a spot for the first test. And, and um, you know, understandably, he, he wanted to put his name out there. But after having that setback, he can't really afford another another one again like that. So, um, yeah, so it's a bit of a painstaking process. I mean, he's certainly on top of the injury, um, but it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that when he does return, there's no risk. And uh, finally, do you have any concerns about the MCG pitch after what happened on the weekend? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not sure how you couldn't be concerned by what's happened. Um, you know, I'm sure that the test will go ahead, and I'm sure, um, you know, all that, I'm sure Boxing Day will happen. But I, so I'd say the biggest concern out of this is that um, it's increased the likelihood that we'll have quite another, another sort of dead pitch yeah. there in Melbourne because uh, obviously they can't risk this this happening again. Exactly. Um, you know, obviously we've, we've heard. The reasons why it's happened and everything, but it would seem to be born out of their desire to, to get a bit more out of the wicket and good on them for trying to do that. But, um, but yeah, look, when you have something like this, you, you know, as, as much as they won't want another flat pitch, uh, it, it's a lot better than having an abandoned test match. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, I would think that they'd have to go on the conservative side of things, which isn't great as far as the, the test match is concerned. Well, Benny, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Good luck over there covering the test. We'll be watching. Thanks, mate. No, great to talk to you again and um, enjoy the rest of the Shield game. Cheers. We'll catch up again soon. Take care. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Bye. See ya. Great stuff as always there from Ben Horn, Paul. And uh, look, you've got some interesting stuff in the notes here for the show about how little respect Australia has paid to New, <laughs> South- New Zealand cricket. Over the many years. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's quite remarkable when you look at it that 1877 we first played against England, as most cricket people, cricket fans might know. But back then it must have been a four-month boat voyage or something to get out from England. It wasn't very hard to get here from New Zealand, yet it was a further 95 years before we invited New Zealand for a test match out of here. So 1972, 
And then we didn't have, an, have them back for another eight years. And when, we, when they came back eight years later, we gave them the underarm ball. So yeah, it wasn't the greatest start to um, our relationship with our Pacific neighbours. And then the other thing is that over the years, we've never given them a five-test match series. Um, all the other kind of... Sri Lanka hasn't had one either, but all the other major test-playing nations that have been playing for many, many years have had five-test match series. Not only that, but... It has been ages since we've allowed New Zealand onto our premium, premier grounds. They haven't played a test match at the MCG since 1987 and the SCG since 1985. So we're talking, uh, you know, players like Daniel Vittori would have had their entire careers come and go, never once get an opportunity to play in Australia's two most famous venues. And since 1985, 60% of all of the test matches that New Zealand have played in Australia have been either on the Wacker or the Gabba. So little wonder that they've only won one test match in Australia in the last um, third of a century. They won one test in 2011-12 in, in Hobart. And other than that, in that all that period, it's, all, it's either been draws or losses for them. Yes, yeah, so uh, the Kiwis uh, not, would not be too happy with the way they've been treated. And thrilling for them, I guess, to be at the major venues then over the Christmas and New Year period. And they are the second-ranked test side in the world, so they... You know, they, they do command a certain amount of respect now. Yeah, I'm really um, eager for them to, to compete hard. I mean, it's, it's very difficult, to, as you mentioned in the interview with Ben, to just arrive here and then be thrust straight into a day-night test match over there in Perth. Geez, that doesn't get, things don't get much harder than that. So hopefully they can show something. As you say, they're ranked number two in the world in test matches. Um, we're ranked number five, so on paper they should be competitive got plenty of players in the top 20 um, with the bat and the ball so you look at their they've actually got more batsmen in the top 20 than we do and you know they're three quicks if if, if Bolt does play Bolt, Wagner and Southie are all in the top 20 as are, as are ours so you look at all of those things and you'd say they're a real chance of being competitive and that's what everyone's saying my fear is that it's just um, it's not going to eventuate that way and that Australia's going to um, win the series 3-0 uh, what do you think? Yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing Wagner play um, I think he's got that ball hooping around against England. So, yeah, I think Wagner's going to be tough. I think that, you know, Bolt, Southie and Wagner, if they get the right conditions at the Optus Stadium, could do some damage. But, yeah, as you say, I'm not as confident that they'll actually end up getting a result. So let's move on to the preview and prediction section. Who do you think will score the most runs for Australia? Steve Smith. Yeah, I've gone Steve Smith as well. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> my feeling is that after the frustration of the Pakistan series where he spent most of the series watching Warner and Lobachain bats, either Smith is going to say to Payne, I'm batting three and further white hand him, or when he gets out to, to bat at four, he's just not going to give his wicket away. So, yeah, I think Steve Smith's a good one. I, most wickets for Australia, I'm tipping Josh Hazelwood to take the most wickets in this series. So am I. Wow, okay, so you and I think alike. The Perth test result? I agree with you. If they get the um, the better of conditions, then New Zealand could definitely win that. But, you know, if I have to guess at this stage, I'm going to say an Australian win. Yes, I agree. And a series result? 3-0 to Australia. I uh, hope I'm wrong because I hope that there's a, a New Zealand victory along there. I'd love a 2-1 to make it really competitive. What I don't want is a, a dull, deadly draw at the MCG, but 3-0 to Australia is my guess. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 Australia. I think that we could see that sort of dull draw at the MCG after the scenes in the Shield where the game was called off. We will see a flat wicket. My question to you is, Paul, 
will the Kiwi fans find something to whinge about this time? So there's always something for them to whinge about. There's the underarm. There was the Lion LBW in the first ever day-night test. There was the World Cup final against England that they lost. Will they find something to whinge about in this tour? I reject the premise of that question. (laughs) Whinge implies that they don't have legitimate reasons to be upset. I think those three things, they had every entitlement to not be very happy. Okay, will they be robbed then during the series? (laughs) I hope not. I hope not, but um, you wouldn't you wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's our preview of the Australia v New Zealand Test series. The Australian lineup sounding pretty settled from what Ben Horn said, and the Kiwis, well ranked two in the world, should test our team. I'll just add one thing on there. If I was going to pick my combined eleven at the moment, only three Kiwis would get in the side: Kane Williamson, Ross Taylor, and BJ Watling, and the other eight would be all the Aussies. So your team is Warner, Williamson, Lobashane, Smith, Taylor, Wade. It makes your team, which I'm very happy with. Watling is the keeper. Cummins, Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood. Yeah. You haven't picked a Kiwi bowler. No, I haven't, and that's no criticism against their bowling. It's just that I think these three at the moment for Australia, McGrath and Lily might knock them out of contention, but other than that, almost any fast bowler I've ever seen in Australia wouldn't, wouldn't knock them out. Richard Hadley would get in there as well. but um, <laughs> Just Hadley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just. All right, so we're going to take a quick break on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Thanks so much to Ben Horn for dropping in, and uh, we'll be back after the break with the headlines. <laughs> Again to Marshall. That one was a nasty delivery. I think that's gone straight to the grill. Oh, that stood up. Siddle Bowles here to Stoinis who gets a nasty one. He's turn now to get one that has hit him. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. I'm with Paul Dennett. And let's get straight into the week's cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Paul, we touched on the crisis at the MCG with Ben Horn, but but what's your reading of the events that transpired over the weekend? Well, hopefully it's an aberration um, and that we can, in years to come, not even remember what happened. But uh, as we sit here, it's hard not to be concerned and it's hard not to say, well, wait a minute. Two years ago, the MCG had a Boxing Day test match and even by Boxing Day standards, it was a big crowd. They had uh, a massive turnout, well over 80,000 to watch the first day of the Ashes. And at T, Steve Smith, who was then the captain, best batsman in the world, was making his way towards 100 and the crowd was streaming out in their droves because the cricket was so turgid, because the pitch was so low and so slow. As a result of that, the MCG um, copped a lot of criticism. The ICC gave it, was it a poor rating on that pitch? And, you know, here we are two years later, and the most significant sporting cricket ground in Australia has now had a pitch where a Sheffield Shield game has had to be cancelled because the pitch was deemed to be too difficult to continue. So I would say I would contend that Cricket Australia, have, you know, have some serious questions to answer. In that, in that same period of time, they made a record television deal. They've got money, um, $1.1 billion. Maybe they needed to divert more resources to ensure that this sort of thing didn't happen. Yeah, I think you make a very, very valid point, Paul. And I, I feel sorry for the, the groundsman at the MCG. It appears what happened on the weekend was a slight overcorrection. The Victorian cricket team are desperate for an outright result in the Sheffield Shield. The game before had been played on a pretty lifeless wicket and then Matt Page 
tried to leave a bit of moisture in this uh, pitch and it backfired. He left too much moisture in there. But I heard Pete Hanscom say that he felt that the pitch was only a day or two away from being a very good cricket pitch. But, yeah, it's a massive um, concern that the two major grounds, the MCG and the SCG, we haven't had great test wickets in the last three years. Not only that, but there have been big game, big bash games that we've watched where out at um, Spotless Stadium in, in the west of Sydney sometimes and, and other games as well around the country in all forms of cricket. I'd even say that the Adelaide Oval test match for the, the pink ball just that was just gone recently by wasn't um, there wasn't as, as much life in that wicket as there should have been. And I've long thought that the one thing that worries me most about the, the short-term future of cricket in this country is the pitches. If they could get the pitches right, I think that Cricket Australia do a very good job in, in virtually every other aspect of running the game. But if you keep on having people turning up to games where the, the, the pitch is slow and low, it's a, destructing, it's a destructive thing for your brand. So hopefully what Ben Horn said won't come to pass, but I think he's possibly right that they may well now err on the side of being extra cautious for the Boxing Day Test match and we once again get a slow surface. And I think there's a real issue that's bubbling away about these multi-use stadiums, that if we are going to move to a, a formula where the grounds are being used for AFL in the winter, like we're seeing at the Adelaide Oval and Optus Stadium and the MCG and here at the SCG and at the Gabba, there needs to be more resources, as you say, put into pitch preparation and pitch development, how they can solve this problem. Because in my opinion, it's not quite working at the moment with the current system and we're just getting these cricket grounds that are not in their prime for cricket season because they're being used in the winter for football. Right, the next cricket headline. Unbelievably, Paul, it's come thick and fast. The Big Bash starts next week. The competition kicks off when the Brisbane Heat hosts the Sydney Thunder at the Gabba on Tuesday the 17th of December. So it's just around the corner. So I think next week we'll give a full preview of the Big Bash. But there has been some news. Josh Hazelwood has signed with the Sydney Sixers. So he'll play the back half of the competition. If he's not selected for the one-day side to India, then I think we'll see him play a lot of Sixers games. If he's just back after the one-day tour of India, we'll probably see him play four or five games at the most. Looking forward to that as well, that he will not only be wanting to do well in the Big Bash, but for forcing his way into the Australian side for the World Cup of T20 cricket, which is on in October next year. I think that he should be very strongly considered for that side. So Steve Smith will be in the Sydney Sixers, and uh, Hazelwood has played for them before. He was part of the team that won the Champions League uh, way back in, I think, 2011-12. So he has some form in magenta. The Renegades have confirmed their international signings. So Pakistan international Usman Shinwari will be playing for the Renegades and his compatriot Fahim Ashraf, who's been very successful in the Pakistan Super League, will play the first half of the competition. Then he will be replaced by Harry Gurney and also coming in for Shinwari at the back half of the competition is Muhammad Nabi. So some pretty handy signings there for the Renegades. Yeah, and it's a big big season for the Big Bash that after several seasons of just growing and getting more popular, last season I think everyone agreed it took a step back, which is these things happen. You can't always just have everything going on the up and up. It'll be good, to, though, to get a, a season of consolidation. Uh, I don't expect that necessarily there'll be crowds that are record-breaking, but as long as they are decent and we get a nice, good competition that captures the public's interest, then I'll be happy. Already we're seeing improvements, I think, with some of the Australian players signing for clubs, which will invigorate the competition a little. Definitely, absolutely, yes. 
Now, the Women's Big Bash League has been decided. The Brisbane Heat have beat the Adelaide Strikers in the final, winning their second consecutive title. The Heat sent the Strikers in, and they restricted them to 161. Then the Heat chased it down four wickets down. Beth Mooney, the top scorer, with 56 not out. But Sammy Joe Johnson's four sixes off a of Sophie Devine over was the highlight of the chase. Player of the match, Beth Mooney, player of the series, Sophie Devine. And, uh, yeah, I was really struck by the confidence that was exuded by the Brisbane Heat side when I saw them in Sydney a couple of times. And I'm not surprised they've gone on to lift the title. No, and I'm delighted to see Sammy Joe Johnson's use as a pinch hitter. I think it's fantastic that she hit three sixes and three balls, four sixes in the one, Sophie Devine over. Fantastic stuff to see, and there should be more pinch hitters. Now, there's been a sad loss in the cricket community. Bob Willis passed away last week, Paul, and, you know, a very successful player, one of the best bowlers for England, and uh, had a good test record as captain. He captained England in 18 tests for seven wins, five losses, and six draws. And, yeah, one of my favourite commentators, I have to say. Yeah, mine too. I was really shocked to hear of um, his death. I saw him just in uh, August when I was over there for the first test of the Ashes. I was just walking to my seat and suddenly saw that's Bob Willis walking by, heading into the commentary box. Um, So, uh, obviously, he was battling cancer at that point, which, which I don't think was widely known, and then it got much more serious in the last couple of months. Yeah, really sad. He was a, a fun commentator to listen to. He had a kind of a, a curmudgeonly attitude, but it was a bit of a... It was done with a bit of a twinkle in his eye, and I think that he was popular amongst the players. Great career. I mean, he had a, a bowling average of 25.2, and I would say that in the last 55 years, since the retirement of Fred Truman and Brian Statham, he has been England's best bowler. He's better than Anderson. He's better than Broad. He's better than both of them. He's number one. Yeah, fine bowler. And if Australia's considering making Pat Cummins test captain, he's someone that they can look at. Uh, former players that played under Willis's captaincy said he was an inspirational leader and he led by example. So I think Pat Cummins could do a similar thing for Australia. Now, that's the week's cricket headlines. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can head to at Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod. You can email us at OzCricketPod at gmail.com. We're on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. And yeah, to end this show, Paul, we've got a quick can't let it go. What can't you let go from the week's cricket news? What's been bugging you? I just am annoyed by the fact that the rights holders to cricket footage won't allow highlights to be dispersed throughout. Like, I've had. Um, seen videos that I've liked on YouTube um, have been taken down of cricket highlights from many, many years ago. And I just can't understand why. I understand that if you've got a broadcasting um, deal, you need to be protected and that you, you know there should be no pirating or anything like that. But in terms of highlights out there of cricket games, let it be open slather. There should be every highlight available. Throw it up on social media wherever. And the ICC and other, other boards should stop trying to take it down. Well, my can't let it go is an idea I have for the Sydney cricket ground that that what they should do is they should rip down the Clive Churchill and Barongal stands and build a hotel there. So they could build a hotel on that side of the ground and they could still have plenty of room for a stand so they could have a hotel and a stand. And then with the 
revenue raised from the hotel that could have rooms looking over the ground. It's a beautiful spot looking the other way over the parkland. So it would be a great area for a hotel in Sydney. They could build the hotel there and then they would not need to play AFL at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I think it would be a, a smart way of turning the Sydney Cricket Ground around. And I think a lot of people, tourists, cricket fans from around the world, would love to come and stay at a hotel that was on the outfield, on the edge of the Sydney Cricket Ground. So I think that would be a great way of solving the problem of how they could make the Sydney Cricket Ground a single-use venue. Well, that is my crazy idea for the week, a hotel at the Sydney Cricket Ground where the Barongle Stand is. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in to this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Paul Dennett's ducked out because he has to go and commentate on the Sheffield Shield, so I'm going to end the show by myself. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Amenas, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. You can find me on Instagram at Amenas Cricket. That's A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S Cricket. And you can find Paul at the underscore summer underscore game. Well, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Ben Horn for joining us and we'll be back soon with another podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.